Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey folks, Zach Osmer, I'm your insider, Indianapolis Star. This is Sunday, November 5th, 2023, or your Mind your banners for Sunday, November 5th. He is Mike Nizelik from the Bloomington Herald Times. And uh, Mike, it was a pretty successful weekend for Indiana. Soccer won. I think volleyball went one and one. Uh, basketball won its exhibitions, you'd expect. Football upset Wisconsin. Although, in you know, I know what the Vegas line was in real terms. Maybe we shouldn't have considered that quite so much an upset. Um, I want to start with hoops. You had not seen that group in person yet. Um, but you were there, we were, we were all there Friday night. Um, I guess, you know, just immediate takeaways from that game, acknowledging it's an NAIA opponent. It's, it's everything it's going to be in an exhibition like that, but just, I guess, first impressions you walked out of that building with. Uh, I mean, I, it's, I think we talked about it. That's just an interesting mix of players. Um, with the length and sort of the athleticism to run the floor between, you know, a really um, interesting f- uh, front court with Malik, McKenzie, and Khalil. Um, you know, I think it's going to come down to, honestly, uh, how consistently they can score against good defensive teams. Um, you know, uh, Mar- Mike Woodson's talked about kind of he doesn't want to settle for just being a half court team and wants to run. And I think that's the only way this team's going to kind of um, get past teams. To be honest, I don't know that their half court sets are, um, you know, I, I think they need to be creative. And so um, I think they'll develop into an interesting team. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see how they match up early, um, you know, when they go to New York, how they do against Auburn. Um, but I, I think there could be some bumps on the road early just as they try to figure out kind of their identity and what works um, and as they try to get more confidence. Because I think you saw uh, Khalil Ware is sort of a perfect example of that. The first half in both games, little looked tentative, um, was kind of scared to sort of take advantage of his um, skill set, you know, his length at the basket. And then in the second half, he was dominant. So, and now he's going to be facing, obviously, stronger defenders. Um, you know, and this was a guy in August, or, at Oregon last year that, didn't score 20 points in a game um, that, you know, we had five with five starts there at, 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 in the non-conference portion of the schedule, then sort of backed off. So I think they're going to have to work with him with his confidence level throughout the season. Um, and McKenzie, you know, obviously showed flashes, I think in that second exhibition, but you know, not, not consistent enough yet. So I, I think there's going to be, like I said, bumps in the road here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think, I mean, it, I agree with you. I mean, it's a fascinating mix. I think it, it, it is, you know, use the word mix. I think that's a good way to put it because it, it, I'm not totally sure at all. Like there's, there's this one, you know, there's the old like melting pot salad bowl. Like, do, you know, do the ingredients truly sort of come together? Or do they always remain a little distinct from one another? Um, it's it feels like a mix right now and the goal i guess is to get it to a blend i don't know if that's being overly cliche but you can see what the idea is especially if you overlay it onto some of woodson's 
Mike Woodson's NBA rosters, the length that those rosters have, the extent to which, you know, I mean, he always kind of had one dominant scorer in the NBA. In, in Atlanta, it was Joe Johnson. In New York, obviously, it was Carmelo Anthony. But he also always had guys that that really fit certain roles. Steve Novak was this corner man shooting threes. You know, I think I think there were probably, you know, and, and I know he built the system a little differently around Trace Jackson Davis, but probably some comparisons between Trace Jackson Davis and Tyson Chandler. I think Kalel Ware, you know, maybe a, a more seasoned, polished version of Kalel Ware, he probably would have loved to have had with that Atlanta team that had so many kind of players that looked a lot more like Malik Renu or McKenzie Mbako um, or Caleb Banks. And you can just, you know. Well, Mbako kind of reminds me of Josh Smith a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, like I mean, like I said, Renew. I mean, Renew reminds me a little bit of Al Horford, to be honest. Again, like I mean, I'm 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 speaking. Of, please understand, I'm speaking in these. You know, Al Horford was the number three overall pick. He's had, he's played like 15 years in the NBA. I recognize what we're talking about here, but but relative to kind of the way that you know that the, what their roles are and how they're used, like I, I can see some of that in in Malik Renew, um, and defensively, I mean, I think they could be really good. Because they are just, they're so long. They're going to wear teams down. They're going to be able to take chances. And actually, I think the best version of this team is a team that is among the best teams, in, among the best in the country in, in you know, basically turning opponents over and scoring rapidly off of turnovers. I don't think this is necessarily ever going to be a great half-court team offensively. Um, no, they don't look like they're comfortable in that arena. I mean, and obviously no. it's still early, but, uh, you know, I, I think that's going to be probably their toughest toughest thing to overcome. No, yeah, I think that, I mean, that can develop with time and, and you know, as roles kind of crystallize, but I, I don't think I don't think they're going to be good in transition if they sort of maximize their defensive position potential in the way that, you know, teams, all teams want to be good in transition. Like, I think they can be really, really good. I think they can be one of those teams that can just get out and fill lanes. And, you know, suddenly they just, they, they, you've just got length and speed running at you. And it's just sort of like, well, I, you know, like, I think they, I think at their best, they're going to get fouled a lot because I just don't know how you're going to deal with some of the, the physical mismatches that that they're going to present, um, but then on the other hand, I mean it. it every question about that offense is going to remain, I think, for a while. Unless, hey, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they go to New York, they blow everybody away, and they score eighty five points a game. I'd, I'd be surprised. But you know, in terms of roles, in terms of you know certain fundamentals like three-point shooting, court spacing, floor spacing, all those different kinds of things. I just think that's a that's the end of the floor, particularly in the half court, where I think if you're Indiana, you you really have to maximize your margins early in the season. I mean, I, I thought it was, for example, um, a really good sign that through two preseason games, they only committed 12 turnovers. And Yes, you're not facing teams that can be as disruptive to you, but when you're playing that fast and you're getting out in, the, in transition and you're running and you're trying to move really fast through your offense and you're still not turning it over a ton, that's a good sign, especially when you're still trying to fit some pieces together. I just think that... I think the caveat would be that, you know, I don't know what the 
team looked like uh, the first exhibition game. The second one, not a very big No, but, but I guess my point presented. is more, despite the fact that clearly guys aren't kind of plugged into one another yet, which you'd expect this early in the season for a very new team, you're not they're, they're not throwing the ball away a lot there's not a like no no but they weren't challenged as much like you know they they this team wasn't getting out with them and so you know I, yeah when there's a little more pressure are they as sharp i, I think will be you know because i think woods had mentioned that that you know this team especially the one they played and it, you know, it was not you know not very large no no it wasn't um and it'll be interesting you know, to to see the tests they get in these first couple games, not even even before UConn, frankly. Um, you know, Florida Gulf Coast. I mean, Pat Chambers teams, you know, tend to be a little bit more kind of defense oriented. Um, you know, you're going to face Army. I don't think they're expected to be anything, you know, particularly great. But then you get a right state team that you know tends to kind of know what it's about. Been to a couple NCAA tournaments in the last few years you know, kind of consistently been one of the better teams in a, in a decent kind of mid-major league. Um, and then, of course, you know, in the not very distant, I mean, we're only at this point two weeks away from the game against UConn, so you are going to get pushed. I just, I can't get away from the extent to which this team's fortunes really turn on how much it can maximize its defensive potential because that, that, makes the length matter if you understand what i'm saying it it allows them to be better in transition which means they don't necessarily have to lean so heavily into their half court offense it mitigates you know maybe some of the i i think this team may be better shooting the three than people expect though i don't expect it to be prolific shooting threes but if you're not going to be prolific shooting threes half-court offense can become a slog, whereas the more you can run, the more you can score on your break, your secondary break, the less you need to worry about like true sort of everybody out around court spacing. The more you're going to eat, the more you're going to get to the rim or you're going to get the easy three-point look because the defense isn't set yet and you're moving the ball around quickly and you're moving it up quickly. And I just, I think well, I mean, if you looked at the box score, the defensive, just just optimizing this defense as much as possible. Have you looked at the box score from from Friday? And I think Woodson would take nine to seventeen from three. And tw- I mean, the, obviously the percentage at free throw, but but even the the volume twenty one or twenty five. I mean, those numbers are winning numbers. I think no matter what game you're playing, um, you know, nine to seventeen from three with each of your front court guys hitting at least one. And Baco had three. Renew had two. Um, and really almost nothing from kind of your, your, your guards. So, I mean, that's sort of a winning formula. I don't think that they can rely on that every day, but I meaning if they got just a little of that each, each game, um, like we talked about, I think after the game, you know, you pose that threat, um, and, and it's a difference maker. Um, it, you know, I, I think they do need a little of that, you know, maybe not as much, especially from where you probably don't want him that far from the basket all the time. Um, but um, you know, we uh, if you're going to play those bigger front of, courts, it's only going to work if you can have enough nights where you have like a situation. I think there was one point where those three starting forward, center, however you want to classify them, were a combined six of nine from three. Now that's yeah. not prolific. That's you know that's that's not going to shoot anybody out of the gym. But you need if you're going to play bigger up front 
And, you you know, and Indiana kind of has to if it's going to be this long athletic team that's really tough and gets a lot of rebounds and steals and just clogs up all the passing lanes and gambles on switches. I mean, they're switching everything, like literally everything. Um, They need that size to make that work. On the other end, they're not going to have somebody who makes 153s this year, obviously. Um, So what they need is enough threat from those big guys that it just carries kind of the weight that says you better at least go close out Malik Renew. Because if he's wide open, you know, 50% of the time it's going to go in. And if he's not wide open, 20% of the time it's going to go in. But if you're going out and making sure he's not wide open, then the lane's vacant. And what offense, what kind of offensive player Mackenzie Mbako is, you know, where he develops his strength? Because he, you know, he got a lot of sort of just in the mix, you know, like in transition here and there, but didn't really have much run towards him. I thought, um, obviously limited, you know, I played 21 minutes, but how he developed sort of in the offensive some system, like what they rely on him for, especially in the half court sets, um, uh, you know, kind of an intriguing, you know, that he could do a little bit of everything, but what's his strength? Like where, where does he go? You know, what, what's his go-to sort of spot on the floor? I don't, I don't I, we don't know that yet. Obviously we haven't seen a ton of them, but, um, that could be a key going forward too, because he's probably the guy that you think might be the leading scorer on the team just because of his versatility. Cause he can hit the outside shot a little better, uh, than where, um, obviously, you know, really gets good, get, get out and gets out and transition well, but, um, I'm not sure what he does best. No, I think that's a fair question. I thought it was, uh, Ryan Carraza, a, a good friend of the podcast over at inside the hall, um, was, was posting some just kind of some some quick film hits from the Marion game. And he showed um, Mbako scoring, a, hitting a three off a of floppy action, which is like if, if you've ever played NBA 2K, it's, it's one of like the base plays in NBA 2K. It's basically just sending a three-point shooter to the baseline and then freeing them up on a down screen from a big to come out, to pop out to the wing. And as Ryan pointed out, in that that tweet, and he had the the accompanying GIF or whatever, you know, Indiana did a lot of that last year, but it was it was to create a post up. It was to, it was to create a, a you know a situation where you'd pull two players to the the basically the the non play side of the floor. The point guard would be at the top of the key, and the the wing would pop out, which would leave the big able to post. And the wing would throw it to the big, and, and then we get to trace Jackson Davis, race Thompson, sometimes Malik Renew, and, and Indiana would go from there. In that moment, Malik Renew just fired up a three, and it went in. And it's you know it's it's one of those things where I, I mean I don't want to. He's not Larry Bird, obviously, but it, it. I wonder if he's one of those players that doesn't have one defined strength, and actually, like part of the strength is just the fact that he's six eight. It like yeah. like in that in that moment, you know, the his his defender doesn't even really do a terrible job on, you know, coming through the screen and getting a hand up, but like there's a difference between getting a hand up on a six foot two guard and a six foot eight wing. Like yeah. you gotta get a lot closer to close the shooting window for a guy like that. And somebody pointed out, you know, I retweeted it and somebody pointed out in, in my mentions like how good his footwork like he's He's setting his feet while he's still turning his body. Like he turns his feet and sets his feet while his body is still turning toward the basket. So like the shooting motion is quick. It's smooth. 
I just wonder if there's like an extent to which it's, you know, with Jalen Hushafina, we would always say he's good at the rim. He's good in the mid range. Those were the things that, that really worked for him. And, and there were nights where he, he'd find kind of his range from three and that would work as well with, with Mbako, it may be a strength and maybe some nights it's a weakness, but I just wonder if there's an extent to which basically his strength is he's a six foot eight scorer. And yeah. that doesn't mean he's going to score 28 a night, but it means like, who do you guard him with? And I, I think about, the Murray, you know, the Murray brothers at Iowa in recent years, Johnny Davis at Wisconsin. It's sort of one of those where I don't know if he necessarily produces at that kind of volume. You know, those guys were also a little older, to be fair. They'd had a couple years in college before they were really expected to be 20 point a game guys. But on any given night, and Indiana certainly fell victim to this, you know, you'd face this guy and you'd be like, well, who do you guard him with? Because if you guard him yeah. with a big, he's too slow. And if you guard him with a guard, he's too small. And you know you can you can tell Trey Galloway to get up in in Chris Murray's face or, or um, Keegan Murray's face all you want, but Keegan Murray is four and a half inches taller than Trey Galloway, so the closeout has to be so much quicker, and it just doesn't work. I just I wonder if he's especially on a team where it already feels like we're going to be talking about you know a different leading scorer you know, every third night or every fourth night, some nights it'll be where some nights it'll be in Some nights it'll be, you know, Xavier Johnson, whoever, not, a, a, not a team where it's so clearly defined. It's like, it's Trace Jackson, Davis, Jalen, Huchifino, and then everybody else just fills in around them. I just wonder if like the strength for him is, is more just that as the season wears on and Indiana figures, figures out the stuff that it wants to run specifically for him he's just a really hard cover because of his length, his size, his athleticism and his range of skill when he can stretch you offensively all the way out to the three point line. Now spinning that forward, obviously they haven't been put in a situation and we don't know when they will, but like they need a basket on a final possession of a game who goes, who does the ball, who does the ball go to, you know, especially early in the season when they're trying to figure things out. I, you know, I don't. Obviously, I I wouldn't. I you know, is it Mbako like you said because of his range of skills and because of it's a defensive mismatch? Is it just a play they feel comfortable with? Yeah, I wonder if it's. I wonder if it's it's action defined for a little while. If the if it's a little bit less like put the ball in this guy's hands and just you know, let it was trace. Work. Obviously, we you know before you know now right. it's like it's wide open and I'm it's, not sure it, there is an answer. I wonder if it's a, a little bit more obviously opponent specific and a little bit more kind of like well this is what we're good at right now. So yeah. it's it's Xavier Johnson tonight because we think for whatever reason this team's not guarding our you know our our pick and roll well from this this side of the floor or whatever, and we'll go float and Baco to the corner and we'll do this and you know he'll have options. Um, I, yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm and again, like I, I'm. It's one of the many things I'm curious about. Like, is there an alpha? or a couple alphas on this team. Cause that's, that is the one thing as we, as much as we talk about, Oh, you know, Mike Woodson's teams were never so sort of post reliant in, in the pros. And, you know, they were never so sort of pigeonholed onto two players and all that. The flip side was he did still have that one guy, you know, he had Joe Johnson. He had Carmelo Anthony. He Joe still Johnson had- would have, sh- would have shot the ball from the, from under the opposing team's basket. If he oh yeah. To. I mean, Joe, and Joe, I mean, Joe Johnson and listen, there were nights where it was to the Hawks detriment. Believe me. I watched, um, but you know, you I want mean, to talk about a guy that was not afraid to shoot the ball, but, there, just- but, but the point is the flip side was there were nights where, I mean, Johnson was basically just kind of that wet one level below the really elite scores in the NBA. Yeah, no, but I get your point. Like do, 
does they do they have somebody when like things are not going well or they're you know they're having a bad night as a team that could take over that could be that guy that you know I think that not, that if that yeah, if that, that player's on this roster I think it has to be Mbako and I think it's I think it's as much the the mismatch he presents I mean it, it is also worth saying and I'm looking at the the numbers right now he only shot two free throws but as you said he only played 21 minutes um, on Friday night I think on Sunday he shot six. So he so he he shot eight. He took eight field goals and shot two free throws against Marion. If you look at the UND game, and I'm like literally just this is just like on air admin, like I'm doing math on air. He shot six free throws to eleven field goals. So basically eight free throws to nineteen field goals is a free throw rate of about forty two percent. Now for just like a just as a, a point of comparison, last season, Trace Jackson Davis's free throw rate was 46.7%. Um, two years ago, in a full season, uh, Xavier Johnson's free throw rate was 45.5%. The flip side, you know, if, if you're trying to find somebody that maybe played the game the way Mbako plays it, and really, there, I mean, there wasn't anybody frankly, that played the game the way Mbako plays it in terms of his position, his size, his length, all that on Indiana's roster last year. But, like, I mean, if, if you want to compare him even to Jalen Huchifino, Jalen Huchifino's free throw rate was only 18.9%. Oh. So uh, I think there's, a, I mean, he is much more kind of in the, you know, and, like, again, that free throw rate was what, like 42.6, I think is what I said. Yeah. In conference play last year, Trace Jackson Davis's free throw rate was 43.6%. That was fifth in the Big Ten in conference games. So, like, he's much more through two exhibition games, admittedly, he's showing that potential of being the sort of player that, like, even if maybe he's not totally polished offensively, even if there's not kind of that one defined skill where you just say, like, that is something he is so good at, you cannot stop it when he's on. Like, Jalen Huchtefino in the mid-range against Purdue last year where he just went absolutely insane. Um I think he may be one of those guys that is just is just going to wind up being so tough to guard that you just can't you can't you can't put him down you can't there's there's nothing you can't pin him down it's probably a better way to put it and, and I go back to the Johnny Davis comparison I know you won't probably won't have remembered this game I don't know why you would have watched it Indiana played Wisconsin February fifteenth twenty twenty two so this is Woodson's first season and Indiana led for most of this game. Um, Indiana's Indiana's win expectancy peaked at I think about 85, 86%. And this is with like four minutes left. So I mean, like it was it looked for all the world, even with like two minutes left, Indiana's win win expectancy, according to Ken Powell, was about 80%. So it looked for all the world like Indiana was gonna win this game. And Johnny Davis just took over. He finished with 30 points. Um, he was 10 of 15 from the floor, and he was 10 of 14 from the free throw line. And it was just like like it, 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 they'd actually kept Davis pretty quiet most of the game, and then Wisconsin basically just went to an offense where they were just clearing out one side of the floor, and and just saying you don't have anyone that can guard this guy, he's going to score or you're going to foul him, and oh. and it worked. Davis had thirty points, and Wisconsin came back and won the game. And I don't think in McKenzie and Baco is Johnny Davis 2.0 by any means, which you know they're they're obviously different sorts of players, but like I think that's probably what we're talking about here is you just 
you put the ball in McKenzie and Baco's hands and you bank on the idea that most teams aren't going to have somebody who can defend him without fouling him. Yeah, and I mean it could work, and and I'm just, just you know it's like is he how confident is he in the in the on the offensive end? I mean he looks uh, good running the floor and in transition, um, but when he's facing you know a guy that is capable of guarding him or does have some um, length that matches up, uh, I mean can he flip a switch like that as a fr- true freshman uh, without you know any experience under his belt? Um, and those are questions that obviously we won't get answers to until. Uh, you know, later this month, obviously, but um, you know, his ceiling is probably where the ceiling is for this team too. I mean, you know, I, I think they need him and where to be their sort of best players and most productive players. And um, if they struggle, I think this team's going to struggle. And I don't think that's sort of um, being anything, you know, kind of crazy talk. I, I just think that, that, that they could swing wildly from night to night. I think. I think the one other thing I would say, and, and, you know, it is early, but I think this is something you can rely on. And then I want to turn and talk about football. Um, those two veteran guards, like the, the you know, the, the as much as we talk about that front court and figuring some things out and that bench and figuring some things out. And I think Anthony Walker and Peyton Sparks, once he's healthy again, should be, you know, kind of more, maybe more impactful than, than we might've expected early in the season. Um, but the, the, I can't get away from when I watch that team, the fact that you've got those two guards who are combined in their 10th season of college basketball together. Um, One's, one's in his fourth year, one's in his sixth year. And it just, it, it, you know, it, even then I I know you didn't see the UND game. And again, listen, these are exhibition games against lower division teams and there's no pressure. Even if you lose them, I mean, I've seen, I can remember, it felt like Syracuse lost one of its exhibitions every, every third year and they'd still go to the elite eight. Um, for a while, um, the, but, but like the, the thing, one of the things I could not kind of get away from, even in that UND game, the offense isn't working, whatever. It never felt like they let anything kind of creep in, in terms of, you know, just like getting rushed, getting antsy, getting nervous. And it always felt in part because it was like at any given moment, there were two guys on the floor or at least one of those two guys on the floor that could just, just get the ball in their hands and just, just say, everyone calm down and run it. We know everything. We know the offense inside and out. We're going to know all the coverages. We're going to know all the opponents. Once we get to big in play, we're going to be able to tell you with our eyes closed, what these teams are doing. I just like, that is, that is something that I think probably should not like, it's, it's probably going to wind up sort of fl- like, let's say Indiana surprises with a couple results. Maybe they, maybe they get a, a big win in New York and they beat Kansas. And at Christmas, everyone's kind of like, Oh, Indiana looks more interesting than we thought they might look, you know, where they start two and zero with those two big 10 games in December or something. I think everybody's going to, in that scenario, everyone would, I suspect be talking about all the new faces and the, you know, the big front court and all that. And I, I think the thing that maybe should not get lost about this team, if things do go well, earlier than maybe expected is the importance of just having those two steady veteran guards that will always kind of keep you level. No, and that makes sense. And, you know, especially on the road, those guys are going to be guys you can lean on. Um, when these guys, you know, you don't have penalties, you know, Madison square garden. I mean, I can imagine that those guys will be important to sort of 
getting this team sort of uh, focused and getting those jitters out. And, you know, I think in the first play of the Marion game, it was Xavier Johnson. He hits a layup and then the uh, first time trying to even get down the floor, he gets a steal. I mean, those things can go overlooked, but I mean, it sort of set the tone, right? Like, I mean, right away off the bat, um, he's leading the way. Um, and, you know, Trey Galloway didn't have a ton of stats, um, but he had a, 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 you know, physical layup that he got, you know, shoved to the floor for. And um, those small plays, I think, give your younger guys confidence that, um, you know, these guys have your back. Football, we'll do about eight, 10 minutes on it. Um, Indiana 20, Wisconsin 6 14. Um, you know, I, I said this on our post game video, and it, and, and I forget who I was having a conversation with. Uh, my wife and I wound up at Nick's briefly Saturday night. Um, I just said that the thing in a game like that for Indiana is the underdog, but, but, you know, not nearly as undermanned as, as Wisconsin. Um, teams like Indiana lose those games when they shouldn't, when they beat themselves, when they make mistakes that, that aren't cats. necessarily forced. It's cats. cats. Yes, they make cats. Um, and no turnovers. They finished even with Wisconsin on sacks allowed and they committed two penalties. And it just, you know, I mean, we talk so much about special teams mistakes in recent weeks. The only real gaffe in that area is, is the missed field goal, which like you have to account for missing a field goal every once in a while. That's not, that's not a mistake. It's just, you know, kickers aren't perfect. Um, they just, they did not beat themselves. And for a team that is clearly still, you know, limited in some ways, working through some things, you know, an offense that's really basically in week four, not week nine. And that's, we can have a whole separate conversation about why, but <laughs> the, the, the key to me was just, they did not hurt themselves and they didn't, and they didn't make it easy for Wisconsin to hurt them either. There was basically just kind of the one penalty that extended the drive that ended in a touchdown, but everything else was just kind of like, they made Wisconsin have to beat them straight up. And that was on a day when Wisconsin didn't really have the horses to do it. Yeah. And I mean, this is the defense we saw, I think against Ohio state, the defense we saw against Louisville. Um, I mean, look, Louisville's almost in the playoff hunt now. I mean, this, this, this is the closest team to play, you know, uh, outside their loss. And so, I mean, this is the defense that we thought looked pretty good and had, you know, had a terrible run. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know if they lost their confidence or just needed more time to sort of kind of come together, but, you know, played the last two weeks um, really well. I mean, obviously the one play, the 50 yard touchdown, sort of a collision between two uh, defensive backs and one got tripped up and the ref was actually kind of acted as a pick there a little bit too. Um, but other than that, it was a pretty clean game. Like you should be dominating a team that's playing their back third string running back and backup quarterback. But, you know, I, I think it was an important performance and, and Aaron Casey, obviously in the first fourth quarter dominated the game, but that's what they're going to need sort of going forward. Um, you know, cause I think they're limited. You know, you mentioned the offense, you know, their ceiling is probably 20 to 28 points right now um, without a special teams touchdown without some sort of, you know, gaff by the other team. I don't really trust this team scoring more than three touchdowns. You know, you know, maybe, you know, right now two's kind of been the limit. Um, and so, 
you know, if you're going to win these last three games, you're going to need defensive performances like this. Cause like you said, the offense is just such a work in progress and like, it'll look good. That first half had some strong drives. And in the second half, I, you wouldn't trust them to get three yards. And it is interesting. Um, because now you face, I don't know if, if the wins, uh, I'll look at the Big Ten standings before I spit this out. At the start of play Saturday, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan State, and Purdue occupied the bottom four spots, essentially, in the across the two divisions. That is still the case, probably based on tiebreakers and stuff. Purdue's one and five in the conference. Illinois beat, it should be said, beat Minnesota on the road. Good win. Um, came back last kind of last minute drive, but they're still two and four. Michigan State and Indiana are both one and five. And if you look at standard stats, and I know some people like the the and, and I admittedly do too some of the football outsider stuff, the Bill Connolly stuff. I just don't have it in front of me. By most standard metrics, I mean Illinois, Michigan State, Indiana, and Purdue are the bottom four teams in the conference in scoring defense. Um, Illinois is eighth in scoring offense. Indiana is twelfth. Purdue is ninth. Michigan State is fourteenth. Um, Purdue and Illinois can move the ball a little bit, I think, by virtue of the fact that, that they pass the ball well. Um, but they all have turnover issues. In fact, in some ways, frankly, um, one of the things that Indiana might might lean on a little bit is that Indiana is a little bit less turnover prone. I mean, Indiana's got 12 turnovers this season, Purdue's got 14, Illinois's got 17, Michigan State's got 19. Um, my point here is. You talk about the defensive performance. You talk about basically where this team can win and, and and like how this team can find its way to winning these games, like Wisconsin, and certainly moving forward this weekend to Illinois. Um, they look statistically a lot like the teams are about to play offensively. They are probably a little bit better defensively, certainly than Michigan State and Purdue. Illinois has got some good individual players, but the you know the in the whole that hasn't always shown up this year. If you're Indiana, you've stacked a couple good performances in a row now for the first time in a long time. You've got to basically just find your way. I think to be, you know essentially just put the pedal on the floor anytime it feels like that offense has some momentum and just give your de- don't limit your mistakes as much as possible. Give your defensive best possible chances. To succeed because Indiana, I'm not saying they're going to, but they can win all three of these games. I mean, matchup wise, Indiana has weaknesses against these three teams, but Indiana also has what I think are probably at least on paper some pronounced strengths against each of these three teams, including or starting with, I guess you'd say, Illinois. Yeah. And, um, you know, one thing they got to get fixed in, in here in the next four days. I mean, they're going to need to run the ball at some point more so than just Brandon Sorsby scrambling around with the ball in one of his hands. Um, that's really been their only production. Um, Cause you know, you mentioned Illinois States, you know, it got a, a solid defense or at times can be. Um, and so, you know, and you don't want to let, um, you know, in the second half, Wisconsin had the ball the entire time. You can't have that. You can't, you're putting, you know, when this team loses, it's because the defense just runs out of steam. Um, they're down a couple guys too. Now they're playing some freshmen. Jordan Shaw uh, is one of them that's kind of stepped in and they can't be playing, uh, you know, 25 minutes and a half, 20, 22 minutes and a half. And so uh, they got to figure out a way, I think, you know, going forward here quickly to try, you know, the, cause their interior run game is just a mess. And anytime they swing out on short swing passes or, 
try to screen. That's also a mess. And those kind of act as run plays, and they haven't been able to do either. Um, and so they're, they're they're not a team that can string drives together for any sort of can you know long basis, and that sort of hurt them in the second half because like Wisconsin had just like five chances in the fourth quarter to tie that game. And then luckily the defensive made a play each time, but, um, you know, really, you know, testing fate there, I thought in the fourth quarter. The one thing, and, and I'll give you the last word about a minute. Um, they have given themselves this opportunity. You know, we said that the, you know, the absolute minimum they needed to do was get to Illinois with no more than six wins. And, and we always knew that, you know, Illinois, Michigan State, Purdue look like by like just by an order of magnitude the most manageable section of the schedule. There's no margin for error, but on the other hand, they're probably playing their best football of the season, <laughs> at least across these last two games. You know, David, I mean, I don't know, 30, 40 seconds, because we got to cut this off before the podcast dies on us, but um they've at least given themselves this window. And now it'll be fascinating to know if they can climb through it. Yeah, and I mean, it's not a team that obviously could feel, you know, you get overconfident or cocky. I mean, they've played some bad football this year, so I think they've realized sort of what, you know, this is not a team that's going to go, we got, we got the world on our backs. I mean, no, that's not really how this is. They've had to scrape and claw for literally everything. Uh, do they get tired out at some point? You know, is that now? Uh, you know, Illinois is going to be riding high. They just they were on the road last week at Minnesota. It, you know, it's going to be a coin flip game. I, I think Illinois was favored by seven points. I thought that was a little high. Um, but to me, it's a 50-50 game. I could, you could lay out any scenario, blow out close game for either side. And it, sure. Why not? I, I think it's, it, it, it's, it, I, you know, it's not one of those games you have a real good feel for it. Do you, I mean, can you, with any sort of certainty of confidence? Well, I mean, I think it is a coin flip game and I've seen Indiana win enough of those and lose enough of those in the last, you know, six to eight years that it just, it, it's, it's all about, you know, one little bit of a game plan that that pays off or somebody's sick or somebody shows up or somebody doesn't. It'll be fascinating to watch. We'll be there. We'll be there for that. Florida Gulf Coast Tuesday, Soccer Wednesday, uh, more basketball Sunday. He's Mike Nislick. I'm Zach Osterman. This has been Mind Your Banners for November 5th, 2023. Thanks for watching. We'll talk to you soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.